2 Chronicles chapter 20. Open your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. We have been going in a series through the book of John chapter 16. Because we are also at the same time having a new members class. If you are interested in joining the church, we're having that right after this service. And we're hoping very soon to receive a number of new members. If that interests you or you would like to join with us in Christian fellowship, we'd be glad to have you from 10 o'clock to 11. But what I have found with the 10 or 15 people who have been in the class is that a number of them have had very good questions. So this morning's message is from the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. I believe it will answer many of the questions that have been asked. I would strongly encourage you to do two things. Put aside all distractions during the next 45 minutes, especially if you have been in that class and have had questions. Number two, I would encourage you to return this evening. If you are saying to yourself, it feels as if I'm really understanding the Bible, but I, I want to make sure my feet are planted firmly. This morning, we're going to deal with a story from the Old Testament. It's an easy to understand story and it's exciting. And then this evening, I'll try to answer questions because if you're thinking broadly, this will raise questions. And I know because some of you have asked me this exact question, and I'll try to answer that question this evening regarding assurance of salvation. How can I know that I am converted? So if the question is, do I look to Jesus or do I obey the law to have assurance of salvation? Come back this evening and we'll try to give a biblical answer from 2 Peter 1 for that. So this morning and this evening's message are specifically to strengthen and help those who are in the new members class who have had these questions. It's also for each of us as believers and I hope it will encourage your faith today. We've seen or just read this passage, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. What you'll want to do for the introduction of the sermon is follow along, and I'm going to summarize the story, the first 30 verses. Look in your Bibles at verses 1 and 2. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. Judah is the southern kingdom. He's about four generations from David. So we've had Saul the king, then David, then a few generations, and here's Jehoshaphat. He's the son of a good king named Asa. Jehoshaphat himself is a good king and becomes king when he's 35 years old. He, he does many good things, but now countries to the east of Israel, Moab and Ammon, those countries came from Lot's daughters who sinned. Now, 500 years later, Lot's daughters, their children and descendants are very many, and they are going to trouble Abraham's children. So remember that our, our sins always have more consequences than we think. If you sin today, it's going to affect far into the future. Lot never knew, oh, I sinned in this way, and it's causing a war later on, and thousands of people are going to die. Moab and Ammon gather together multiple countries to attack 
the children of Israel. That's in verse 2. So all of these countries gather together and Israel is greatly outnumbered. I'm sorry, Judah is greatly outnumbered. Jehoshaphat sees that in verse 2 and says, what can I do? These people will crush us. If I travel to the west, I'm in the ocean, the Mediterranean Sea. To my east, it's a wall of enemies. To my south, it's Egypt that hates me. To my north, it's Syria that hates me. What can I do? Jehoshaphat calls out, what can I do? In verses 3 to 13, it's really remarkable. In verse 3, Jehoshaphat says, what can you do when you have an army against you? Pray. That's exactly what he does. He not only prays, he calls the entire country to pray, including the babies. We even want the little kids here. Moms, babies, children, teens, no special prayer time. No children's church. Come and pray. In in his prayer, beginning in verse number 6, he prays from verse 6 down to verse 12, and it is a remarkable prayer. It's remarkable for a number of reasons. Number one, Jehoshaphat knows his history, and he calls on history. We need to study history, especially in the Bible, but also our own history. I wonder how many Afrikaners know the history of the Anglo-Boer War, why it was started, how it ended. I wonder how many people know the history of the, the Zulu nation, We need to read those histories. They're fascinating and very helpful for us. When Jehoshaphat prays, he prays according to history and says, look at what happened to Abraham. Look, we tried to attack these countries before and you told us no. So now it's not our fault. They're coming against us. Really remarkable. Look in verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Why? What's the reason that Jehoshaphat wants God to judge them? Look in verse 12. What's the reason? We have absolutely no power. Do you see that in verse 12? Underline that if you've got a pen. Does anyone need a pen? Underline that in verse 12. We are absolutely powerless. What can we do? We have no might. In fact, not only are we powerless, what's their second problem in verse 12? Don't, if you've already answered, wait. I want, I want someone who's just now looking. Number one, they're powerless. What's the second thing they don't have? Verse 12, Dorothy, what's the second thing they don't have? Cornet, do you see that? I should be merciful to people with babies in their arms. They have no knowledge, they have no power. Does everyone see that in verse 12? Underline those words so you won't forget them in the future. What is his logical basis for having faith in God? Look at the history. You promised to help us. Look where we're at now. We have no power and we have no knowledge. We are your people. We have no power, no knowledge. You've got to help us. Let me encourage you when you pray to pray biblically. Don't pray based on the way people pray on TV. Take your prayers from the Bible. You promised to help us. We have no power. We have no strength. So please help us. There's his prayer. And then look in verse 13. All Judah was with him. With their little ones, their wives, and their children. Two Hebrew words for babies. One is babies, one is children. That means we had the infants and the nursery kids, the creche kids, and we also had the older kids who can wipe their own noses. They were all present. No youth groups here. 
We're not concerned about making anyone happy. We don't care about it. We've got to pray. Well, in verse 14, what happens? God raises up a prophet, Jehaziel. Can anyone remember where else you see Jehaziel in the Bible? Does anyone else remember where you see Jehaziel? Come on, you read your Bibles, don't you? The answer is nowhere. This is a man who's not famous. He's not a famous preacher. He's not someone who's been preaching everywhere and written 10 books of the Bible. God just decided to send his spirit on this man in order to answer the problems and to deal with their needs. And they could not have found the solution unless God talked to them. They already said, we have no knowledge and no power. So God says, okay, I'm a, let me call on nobody. Hey, you in the corner. Me? Yeah, yeah, you. Yeah, you're the one. Come up here. I can't do that. God called an unsuspecting man and gave his word to that man. And the man speaks very boldly. And look in verse 17. You do not need to fight. Do you see that in verse 17? You're not going to fight. You're not going to do it. Stand, set yourselves, and then different translations, some say stand firm. Some say stand still. The point is that you're standing to look or to gaze as if you just got off the tour bus at God's window in Mpumalanga. How many of you have been to God's window in Mpumalanga? Hands up. Have you been to God's window in Mpumalanga? That's the idea here in that verb in verse 17. You get off the bus, you stand at the edge, and just start looking. That's what you're supposed to do. Don't fight, just stand and watch. Your swords, yeah, you can put, put, put the swords down, guys. Your shields, your, put, put, put those back. What about our chariots? No, no, keep those horse. All you need to do is stand, stand and watch. Watch, get your cameras. No, no selfies now. Keep the cameras focused outward because this is the time that you're going to see what in verse 17? What a wonderful phrase. Don't fight, stand and look, and you will see salvation. Really remarkable. In verse 18, Jehoshaphat is filled with, with joy, and that means he's filled with faith. He bows down and worships the Lord. Notice that his body was affected by his faith. In verse 19 and 20, the whole crowd gets down with him. But notice in verse 20, the next day. Look in verse 20. They rose early in the morning and went forth. But when they go out, Jehoshaphat realizes that they're beginning to doubt. The day before, they were all filled with faith when they heard the unknown prophet Jehaziel give the word of God. But the next day, they begin to doubt. Wait, do we hear that right? You know, we're actually looking at them now. What, what's good? Look at verse 20. Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God. Doesn't that sound like faith alone? And to God alone be glory. Verse 20, believe. If you have your pen, underline that. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will prosper. Believe, that's faith alone in the Old Testament. Now, in verses 22 to 24, they simply march down singing. They sing as they march down into the midst of the Moabites, the Ammonites, and the Syrians. 
And as they march down into the midst, in verse 24, they see dead bodies everywhere because God caused an insanity to come on the Moabites and the Ammonites so that they all killed each other. Who could have guessed that? Jonathan Edwards says the Lord has innumerable ways to take sinners out of this world. He can open up the ocean and drown you in it. He can send his angel at night with a sword to cut your throat. Or he can cause you to hear a rumor like in 2 Kings 19. And when you hear a rumor, you rush back to your country. Or he can make you insane so you kill the guy you're sitting beside. God can do anything he wants. He has no shortage of paths to bring it. In fact, he does it so effortlessly. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need anything. Just just watch and he'll use one of his thousands of ways to conquer the enemy. That's in verses 20 to 24. So in verse 24, they're saved. Not quite. This is maybe the most remarkable verse in the passage. You could put beside verse 25, justification by faith. Look at verse 25. And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil from them, they found among them in abundance riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. And they were busy gathering the spoil how many days? Tell me, how many days? Three days. There's the story. There's the introduction to the sermon. What do we learn from this really amazing message? I would like to preach to you this morning on the topic of stand still and see God's salvation. Or, to put it in another way, I'd like to preach to you on this topic. Justification by faith in the Old Testament. Or, if I could summarize it in a sentence, I'll tell you this. When your enemies terrify you, when your guilt is too great for you, when your sins threaten you with hell, when your strength is insufficient, when your knowledge is gone... When you are feeling spiritually desperate, when you are low before God. Did you follow those whens? I'm really just repeating the same thing. Here's the subject and verb of the sentence of the thesis for today. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's all those whens. If the whens are true, then you get the subject and the verb. But if the whens aren't true, the subject and the verb won't even be a possibility. And what we have in South Africa is a group of people who skipped the whens and jumped to the subject and verb and said, well, I believe in Jesus. But you've never been terrified by your enemies. You've never been low before God. You've never felt, I have no might and no power and no strength. I have no knowledge. You felt basically, yeah, I'm doing pretty good, but... You know, I, I, I did have some problem. My, 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 my child is sick. Yo, what am I going to do with my sick child? Okay, I'll believe in Jesus. That's not at all what we see in this passage. This morning, <clears throat> I'd like to give you three points. Number one, eight ways 
that this story is the same as justification by faith. If you have your pens, you can mark them right through the text. We'll go right through the story and show eight ways this story is the same as justification by faith. Then I'm going to return and show you three ways this story is completely different from justification by faith. Did you follow that? Eight similarities, three differences. And then at the very end, in verses 31 to 33, I'm going to show you one objection. I'm not going to have much time to deal with the objection. So I'm going to deal with it fully in 45 minutes tonight. I'll deal with it briefly this morning, but then at length from the New Testament tonight. So if you're taking notes, it's similarities, then it's differences, and then it's objections. Martin Luther said, the doctrine of justification by faith is the article on which the Christian church rises or falls. If you do not understand justification by faith, if you haven't bowed to it and accepted it and loved it, you're not a Christian. Perhaps you did not know the word justification by faith, but you knew the concept that will become clear as we teach. As I show you these eight similarities, are you saying, ah, yes, I've heard that. Oh, I'd heard that for two or three or four or five or 10 or 20 years. Okay. But if while I'm preaching, you're saying, oh, I didn't know that. I'm going to ask you, what do you see in verses one and two? And if you look and say, I don't know at all what he's going for. Then maybe... You haven't yet understood this wonderful doctrine, this blessing of all blessings, this diamond in the ring that God gives to his bride, that Christ offers to his bride. Eight similarities with justification by faith. And the first one is in verses one and two. I'll ask you first on several of these, maybe all of them, we'll see how it goes. What do you see in verses 1 and 2 that is similar to justification by faith? They have a very big problem. Is the problem small or great? It's very great. And in justification by faith, you cannot understand that doctrine until you realize you are a debtor. You don't owe 50 rand or 5,000. You don't owe 5 million. You don't owe 5 billion or 5 trillion rand. You owe the combined worth of all the money in the world 10 times over. Now let me ask you, if you tried to pay back the combined worth of the whole world, could you ever do it? Our Lord Jesus put it in this parable in Matthew chapter 18, the second half of that chapter. It's one of his longest parables. He says this, there was a certain man who worked for the king and the king called him before it and said, you owe me money. You've got to pay it. And the, the servant said, please have mercy and I'll pay it all. But if you count out the amount of money, it's, it's given in, in pennies in Matthew chapter 18. If you count out the money, it's 4,000 lifetimes. Did you hear that? In Matthew chapter 18, when the servant comes and, and he says, I can't pay it, but, but just give me time and I'll pay it back. He even says that in Matthew 18. The man says, 
I'll pay it back. He says that to the king, if you just give me time. And what does the king do in Matthew 18? He forgives him. How many lifetimes? 4,000. Stephen, what if you had a debt? Not 20,000 or 50 or 100, but you had to pay your whole life on that one debt. Imagine 4,000 lifetimes of debt and you have the audacity to say to the king, oh, I'll pay it back. That's ridiculous. No one can pay back 4,000 lifetimes and the king does what? Forgives him. That's the doctrine of justification by faith. By the way, some people say that Jesus didn't teach the doctrine of justification by faith. For example, N.T. Wright, I would say, look at Matthew 18. If you've ever wanted to find the doctrine of justification by faith in the teachings of Jesus, it's in many places, but one of them is Matthew chapter 18. Jesus did teach that doctrine, not only Apostle Paul, although the Muslims like to say the Apostle Paul should be called the apostate Paul because they say he taught the doctrine of justification. It was an invention. Try reading Matthew chapter 18 or Luke chapter 18. You can remember them easily. Luke 18, Matthew 18, and then again Matthew 21 and many other places. But this is not a time for that. This is a time just to keep moving. Number one, what's the similarity between this story and justification by faith? They had a very big problem. Your problem is not, Patricia, 50 bucks. It's not going to be solved. Someone says, oh, I'll put a little money in the offering. Your money won't do anything. You owe 4,000 lifetimes. The problem is very big. Number two, what's the second similarity? What does Joshua do in verses 3 to 13? The first proper step is prayer. In justification by faith, if you realize I've got a very big problem, you should be on your knees saying, oh God, oh help me, help me. I can't fix it. She can't fix it. My pastor can't do a thing. And this is the problem with many false churches. The pastor tries to set himself up as if he actually can do something. I tell you up front, I can do nothing to solve your problem. You're going to have to get on your knees with your little ones and your children and your wife. And you're going to have to say, oh God, I can do nothing. She can do nothing. The pastor can do nothing. We have nothing. You're going to have to turn to prayer and really spiritual prayer. It's not going to be enough to say, oh, please save me. Please give us a good day. Please stop the rain. Please help us come to stop the load shedding. In Jesus' name, amen. Don't expect a 10,000 rand answer to a 10 cent prayer. Oh, no. Number two, prayer is the first step or the first response. Number three, look in verse 14. 14, 15, and 16. What does Jehaziel do? Number three, similarity with justification by faith, the solution must be revealed. There is no way Roribua could ever have thought of this solution. She's not clever enough. I'm not smart enough. I could never have thought of this solution. It's going to have to be revealed to you from an outside source. You can't figure it out. You can search all your life. You'll never get it, Tafadzwa. You're not able. Someone else is going to have to tell you. I couldn't have figured this out. It had to be recorded in a book. And it is Christianity that began 
the heritage now that has gone to many religions of writing down the revelation from God. Christianity began it because Jehovah said they will not know the truth unless I tell them. And I'm going to tell them in a book. And so demons say, well, let's try that with other religions. Let's put down the Bhagavad Gita. Let's put down for the Hindu religion. And let's put down the <clears throat> Buddhist, Buddhist scriptures. And let's put down the Quran. And let's put down all these other writings now to imitate what's happened with the revelation of the God of the Bible. Number three, similarity between justification by faith and this story. It had to be revealed. Number four. Number four in verse 17. This is really the crux of things. Look in verse 17. Someone tell me in verse 17 what's the similarity with this story and the doctrine of justification by faith. Look in your Bible. I see a few people not looking. The answer I'm promising you is in the Bible, not in the pew in front of you. In verse 17, what's the similarity between justification by faith and this story? Your works won't help. Your works will not help. Your baptism is no good. Your prayers can't do it. Your church attendance can't do it. Your preaching can't do it. Your Bible reading can't do it. Your best efforts can't do it. Go, go try. Go try to fix your life. You can't do it. That's the point of verse 17. And that's really the hinge on which the whole thing turns. Justification by faith teaches this. You can't do it. Listen to this verse, Romans 4, verse 5. But to the one who does not work, but believes. Do you hear that? Romans 4, verse 5. But to the one who does not what? But believes on the one who justifies the ungodly. His faith is counted as righteousness. You don't do your work. You're like this verse right here. You could even put beside verse 17, Romans 4, verse 5. The man who does not work, but believes on the one who justifies the ungodly, your faith is counted as if it were righteousness. Your faith is not righteousness, but God counts it as if it were. You can't work. Your works are dirty and filthy and inconsistent and backward. Your works, in your mind, you make them this big, but they're really much, much smaller. Your works are nothing. Throw the works under the bus. Step on them and don't ever look at them again. Never stand up in your works. You need to look on your own works as the prophet Isaiah did. They are filthy rags, Isaiah 64, verse 6. Have you ever seen what that Hebrew word means in Isaiah 64, verse 6? Filthy rags. It was used of medical cloths or menstrual rags in those old days before the advancement of technology gave us cleaning products for doctors and hospitals and nurses and for women imagine what it would be like to live in a world where you can't easily get soap and you have some old dirty rags when you, there's injuries and you pick up those rags covered with filth and in Isaiah 64, 6, the prophet says, that's what all of your righteousnesses is like. It's the plural. All of your good works put together is like that filthy, disgusting rag. It stinks. You don't even want to touch it or pick it up. That's what your good stuff is like. How bad is your bad? That's what he says in the prophets. What's our fifth similarity 
God's people believe. In verses 18, 19, and 20, they simply believe. Do you see in verse 20 the word believe? Underline that. Believe in the Lord. That means believe in Jehovah. They did not have the clear revelation about believing in God's Son. They were not Christians. They had not seen Christ. They were believers. Believe in the Lord. In verse 20, underline that. They believed in Jehovah. They took his word and said, I'll take it. I'll cling on to that word. The one requirement was full faith in the message that Jehovah had delivered. And friends, I tell you, your church membership is not enough. Your coming to this church is not enough. You're coming from another church. I've had a number of people come from different churches and say, oh, this is, this is going to be our church. I had someone come from Joburg and say, oh, I was a Baptist in Joburg. Great. I want to know, have you believed in Christ? The question is only, have you put your faith in Christ? That's the similarity right there. They were demanded, don't work, just stand and watch and put all of your faith in the words of Jehovah. And I tell you today, if you want to be a church member here, you're going to have to say, my problem is much worse than I realized, but I am praying to God and he's revealed it through the preaching, through the Bible. He's showed to me, I can't work, I'm just going to have to believe in Christ. That's the place to say amen. That's the place where your heart, if just now your heart said yes, 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 then maybe you're ready to join our church. Those are the people we want. We want sheep. We don't care what your old church was. We don't care what anything else. Can you say yes to that? We'll take you. If you can't quite say yes, then I don't care if you were pastor glorious. You can't join this. Sixth similarity with justification by faith. The removal of danger. Verses 22, 23, and 24. Look at verse 24. Do you see all the dead bodies? Look at verse 24. Do you see the dead bodies in verse 24? All the danger is removed. That's the sixth similarity. You see, in justification by faith, he completely removes all of your sin. That's the wonder. It's all gone. The 4,000 lifetimes of debt, it's canceled. Removal of the danger. You are very guilty before God, but in justification by faith, he wipes it clean. But let me run to the seventh seventh similarity because it's the greatest. It really is. In verse 25, verse 25 is one of those new covenant gems that God put in the Old Testament to see if you're a good reader. Look at verse 25. And you tell me what the similarity is with justification by faith. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil from them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves more than they could carry away. They were three days in gathering the spoil. It was so much. What's the similarity with justification by faith there? Number seven. What is it? It's not only the canceling of your debt. Mohangwi, in justification by faith, he not only wipes out your past, what does he do? He gives you an infinite account for the the future. That's justification. When some people say, some people when they're teaching their children, they like to say, justification by faith means 
just as if I never sinned. No, no, no. That's only half of it. That's verses 22, 23, and 24. The removing of your sin. No, no. Justification by faith not only cancels what? The debt. It puts an infinite amount in your account for the future. If you had a debt and you owed the bank $5 million, justification by faith is like canceling that to make it zero and then doing what? Adding $5 million for the future. So you owe $5 million and you're depressed and you're going to kill yourself, but then suddenly you find someone canceled it and made it zero. How high will you jump? How long will you dance? What songs will you sing if you find not only did they cancel my debt and make it zero, they added $5 million positive. I'm not only not in the hole, I'm now a very rich man. How would you feel? That's what's taught in verse 25. That's the Christian doctrine of justification by faith. If you did not know that before, then I tell you, come to Jesus now. You say, but I went to church all my life. I don't care about your church. And Jesus doesn't care about that. He cares about his righteousness being applied to your account. Has he ever wiped out the past and then super added three days worth of jewels and diamonds so that your pockets are bursting, your bag is overflowing? I can't even carry all the diamonds. I guess I'll have to drop these diamonds. I'll have to drop these things because there's simply not enough room to carry them all. Has that ever happened to you? If that hasn't happened to you, then you're outside the Christian faith. But if right now you're seeing this and thinking, wow, the story of Jehoshaphat is alive to me. He had a terrible danger. He went and prayed. God revealed the truth to him. He said, don't work, just stand and look at God. And then they believed it. They believed. And then when they walked down in the morning, all their enemies are dead and they have bags of diamonds. That can happen to you by faith in Christ. But there's more. It's amazing. Look at verse 26. On the fourth day, they assembled themselves in the valley of Barakah. Why? Because there they were blessed before the Lord. That, does your Bible say the valley of blessing? Barakah means blessing. They were blessed. Verse 28. They came to Jerusalem with singing and harps and trumpets. Verse 29, the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord fought. Yeah, I think it would be. How would you like to have an army where the the soldiers do nothing? They just sing. This army, all it is is a choir. They've got one soldier who destroys everyone by himself. And then in verse 30, they have peace and rest. So the result is this. Blessing, peace, and rest. The prosperity churches twist this all. They'll take the word blessing and they make it a Toyota Fortuner. God doesn't promise you a Toyota Fortuner. He promises you to wipe out your debt of sin and to put his righteousness on your account for everything in the future. You have no promise to get a Toyota Fortuner. You have no promise that your Toyota Hilux won't break down when you've got 20 young boys in the back at a Christian camp. And no promise about that. But you have a promise that all of your sin, all of your lying, all of your anger, all of your loving money, all of your fornication and sexual promiscuity, all of your pornography, all of your anger, all of your rubbish that you gave to your wife for 20 years and you were the problem, all the rubbish that you gave to your husband all the while saying, 
oh, these men, can't do anything with these men. Well, you gossiped and nagged and picked on him. All of that stuff that you haven't even seen for 35 years, all of that can be wiped away and the righteousness of Christ added so that God will look at you and say, what a perfect person. Perfect? That guy's not perfect. I know him, Satan says. Satan says, I know that one, Michele. Oh, he's not perfect. Oh, you've got to know he did this and this and this. But justification says, oh no, I give him peace and blessing because the past is wiped out and an infinite, infinite amount of righteousness is placed on his account. This story teaches us eight similarities with justification by faith. Come, come to Christ. But there are three key differences in this story. Three key differences. Can anyone pick out one of the three? The first one is in verses 1 and 2. Look at verses 1 and 2. Chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. From where did the problem come to Jehoshaphat? From outside. But where is my problem? It's in my heart. Kubus, my worst enemy is Seth. Not Amy, not sinners, not the government, not the white man or the black man, not criminals. Who is Seth's worst enemy? My own sinful heart. Mugobe, you've got so many blessings, so many problems, but your real problem is your heart. Do you see this is different? The old covenant and the new covenant are different in this. In the old covenant, their problems were outside coming in. But in the new covenant, we understand, oh, the big problem is my heart, which is why in our memory verses, Hebrews 8 verse 10, what does he do to our hearts? You've memorized the verses, Hebrews 8 verse 10. What does he do to our hearts? Someone tell me. What does he do to our hearts? He changed them in what way? What does he do in Hebrews 8 verse 10? He writes something on our hearts. He writes his law on our hearts. Yeah, the problem is my heart. And in the new covenant, he gives you a new heart. That's what you need. That's really what you need. And I I think that is probably the difference between this church and most other churches. In this church, we tell you straight, right to your face, you got a bad heart. And here, it's even worse. I can't fix it. I don't have a box of new hearts up here. You can't, I can't send you to game to stand in a queue at month end and get a new heart. There are none. But I can point you. I can just point you. Go to Christ. Fall at the foot of the cross because at the cross you get new hearts. Miracles happen there. Years ago, Stephen told me, Maleti told me, you know what? I don't think most of the young men who profess to be Christian are Christian. That's what he told me. He said, if you followed them around 168 hours in the week, you would see most of the young men who on Sunday, they pretend to be Christian to make you happy, Pastor Seth. But if you followed them around in the week, you would see they're still doing their old ways. They need what? New hearts. First difference between this story and justification by faith The problem is where? Inside of us. That's where the problem is. The second difference, look in verse 3. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout where? 
All Judah. Look at verse 13. How many people come together? All Judah with the wives, the children, the babies. You see, in this story, they received the blessings as a group. But in the new covenant, you've got to go individually. That's why Pilgrim's Progress is so beautiful. Do you know the story of Pilgrim's Progress? The man has a wife and four children, four boys. And there's six of them, and the man sees they're going to destroy our city, and I'm going to die. And he calls out for mercy, and he tells his wife, and what does his wife do? Laughs at him. And she teaches the boys to laugh at the dad. And finally, does anyone remember what happens in the first chapter of Pilgrim's Progress? Colin. He runs away with his fingers in his ears. He puts his fingers in his ears, turns his back on his wife and children, and shouts out, life, life, eternal life, and runs on. He can't get in as a group. You get in one at a time. That's the difference between this story and justification by faith. You say, but I'm going to do this as my family. I even had a man who came here for years say, you know, I'd really like to join your church, but I'm going to wait until we can all come as a family. You need to listen to Pilgrim's Progress. Put your fingers in your ears and say life, life, eternal life. You need to realize in the old covenant, Israel moved as a body. In the new covenant, you enter the narrow gate one at a time. It's a narrow gate. You can't get in as a group. Third difference with this story and the new covenant. It's something that's missing. Who can tell me what's missing from this story? There's something missing here. What's not in this story? May I Daniel? It's a big thing in the new covenant and it's not here. Lloyd. There's no atonement. There's no cross. There's no sacrifice. There's no atonement. You see, in the new covenant, the only way you get a new heart is by Christ dying on the cross. In the old covenant, these were types and shadows and pictures to point us the right way. And we had eight similarities to point us to justification by faith. But if you really want to be justified, if you want all of your debt removed and you want 10 million put on your account, the only way is to go to the cross and say, he paid the debt, he kept the law, which is why our confession of faith says correctly, at the cross, he covered our debt. But in his life, his obedience to the whole law is now put on our account. That's called the active and the passive obedience of Christ. On the cross, he was passive. That's put on my account. During his life, he was active. He obeyed all the laws of the old covenant. And that's put on my account too. That's not in this story. It's hinted. Remember, it's a shadow. We see it. It's so dark. We see it, but now with Christ in the new covenant, we see it so clearly. So I ask you, Cameron, come back and sit down quietly. I ask you, have you ever come to understand the blessings of justification by faith? Have you ever come to understand the wonders of these similarities and these differences? 
When I was preaching, did your heart say yes, yes, yes? When I was preaching, did you say, wow, that's new. I didn't know that before. When I was preaching, did you say, that's what I want, that's what I need? Some of you maybe prayed a prayer 5, 10, 15 years ago. I've baptized some of you. But maybe you say, now I get it, today, 10 October 2021. Some of you say, well, I prayed a prayer 10 years ago. Did you get this 10 years ago? I don't care about your prayers. Did you get this? Did you understand this? Let me close with an objection. Some people say, when they hear this, they say, wait a minute, wait a minute. In this story, this only fits the Old Testament because if we do that all the time, you're going to live like the devil. If you say all of my past is canceled, all of my future is paid for, oh, that's so nice. I don't have to come back Sunday night. You know, it's Sunday night, I like to watch my movie. I can just sit at home, get my cold drink, and watch my movie. Why come back Sunday night? Why come back Thursday for the prayer meeting? You know, Thursday I'm tired. Sometimes it's rainy and cold. I really just like to cook and just, why come back Thursday? If I'm justified by faith, I don't need to come to the prayer meeting. If I'm justified by faith, Seth keeps talking about preaching on the streets and giving out flyers. Why do this? If I'm justified by faith, I'll come Sunday mornings. That's good enough because it's already worked out. If I'm justified by faith, then I don't need to do good works. That's the objection that many people will bring. That's not what happened to Jehoshaphat. Look at verse 31. And Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 35 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shelih. He walked in the way of Asa, his father, and did not depart from it, doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Wow, he had good works along with his faith. But let's see the good works some more. Go back to chapter 19. Look at chapter 19. Look at 19, verse 3. There are good things found in you. You have taken away the groves out of the land and prepared your heart to seek God. Look at verse 4. Jehoshaphat dwelled in Jerusalem. He went out again through the people from Beersheba to Mount Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. He was a traveling preacher. This guy was an early Methodist before George Whitfield. He's a traveling preacher going village to village. The king. It's amazing. Jehoshaphat believed in God, but that did not make him sit back on his couch and say, hey, Bring, bring, bring in, I, I need some more chocolates here. Fan me, fan me a little more. He wasn't back sitting in luxury. He was actively working. Look at verse um, five. He set judges in the land. Keep reading, you'll see they're very good judges. Look at verse eight. In Jerusalem, Joshua set of the Levites and of the priests of the chief of the fathers of the land for the judgment of Jehovah. Verse 9, he charged them saying, Thus will ye do in the fear of Jehovah, faithfully and with a perfect heart. Jehoshaphat was a good and godly man. Though he believed in the Lord, he did not for a moment say, My belief in the Lord means I don't have to work. 
I'm going to deal with that more fully tonight. What is the balance between looking to Christ and working hard? I encourage you to come back tonight. If you have struggles or doubts in your souls, I think tonight's message will be particularly aimed to help remove doubts, especially the mornings and the evenings taken together. The mornings is justification by faith. The nights is assurance of salvation. But I close now with this. I have labored to show you the story of Jehoshaphat. He had, a, he had a, a battle that was too great for him. And you have your sins, which are far too much for you. It's 4,000 lifetimes. Carson, you can't pay that. But you're going to have to go in prayer. And then you're going to have to believe the revelation that comes from God. You're going to have to stop saying, well, I go to church and I'm a good person. You're just going to have to put all of your faith and confidence in Jehovah. And then you're going to have to trust him as he destroys all of your sins, all of your guilt, and adds on to that uncountable righteousness of Christ. Oh, may you do that today and find peace and rest and blessing in him. Father, Son, and Spirit, give us what we cannot do. Give us these blessings. Give us faith in Christ. Give us confidence in the Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, make them to be truly saved, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.